Good morning, Cornerstone. What a wonderful time of worship. Considering the trials that we must go through in this life, while at the same time considering God's faithfulness, how he has brought us through, through dangers seen and unseen. Great is God's faithfulness. Can anybody testify to that today, that God has been faithful? When I look back over my own life, <laughs> I see what God has done for me. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for being faithful, for being consistent, for being loyal when I didn't deserve it. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I recalled it like it was yesterday. <clears throat> My wife invited me to travel with her down to Cordell, Georgia, to meet her extended family, her uncles and aunts and cousins and I remember driving down there in my wife's brand new Mitsubishi Precis. They don't make those anymore. And we pulled into her uncle's front yard. No driveway, just the country, just the front yard. Just drive right up. I drove into the driveway and Uncle B came out to meet us and he was smiling and he was happy and jovial and he embraced his niece they stood and reminisced for a couple seconds and he was smiling and patting her on the back and so glad to see her and then he turned around to me with this very stern look and said come with me I just met him and we walked out into the front yard to the car and he started drilling me what kind of engine is in this car I don't know. Five, five, five speed transmission or four speed transmission? I don't, I don't know. What are you asking me? He looked at me with this incredulous look. You don't know what size engine you have in the car? I don't know, I didn't check that. When was the last time you checked your oil? I didn't check the oil, it's a brand new car. And he shook his head like poor thing. Poor city boy. Pop the hood. Just met him, just pulled up, popped the hood. I popped the hood, he went over all the fluids, the brake fluid, check. Transmission fluid, check. Coolant, check. Windshield washer fluid needs to be topped off, Calvin. Power steering fluid, check. Engine oil, a little low, but it's okay. He looks up at me and says, everything looks to be okay in working order. And I said, I know it's in, in working order, it's a brand new car. Old country boy turned around and looked at me with this puzzled look on his face and asked me the question, how do you know if everything is okay if you never even checked? You should always check your fluids before a long road trip, Mr. Calvin. Check it a few times while you're on the road. This way you catch problems before they get out of hand. That was my introduction. Uncle B. Every believer is on a road trip. 
For some of us, the journey has been long. For some of us, the journey is just beginning. And on this road trip that we are on, we are not the drivers. Instead, we are the vessel. We are the vehicle. God is the driver. And God being the responsible God that he is, every once in a while turns us to the side of the road to check our spiritual fluids. Joy, check. Hope, check. Faith, check. Contentment, check. And God checks us because God knows that spiritual fruit are perishable. God knows that faith and hope and joy can be depleted without use. God knows that sometimes the well runs dry and he checks on us. The new believer sitting there right now listening to me and saying, I can't imagine not having this same kind of faith and this same amount of joy. Keep on living and keep on walking with Jesus. The new believer thinks that his hopefulness and his joy will never be depleted. It will never dry up. I am so excited to be in the kingdom of God. This feeling will never pass. Keep on walking with God. We who have been walking with, with God for a while on this road, we know better than that. Because we have been turned to the side of the road and we have come to realize time and time again over the years that our spiritual fruit are sometimes rotting on the vine and we need some preventative maintenance. Elimelech was a disillusioned man. He had been learning about the promises of God all of his life. But it seems that the things he had heard about God, about God's kindness, about God's patience, about God's love, about God's sense of order and his favor for his chosen people, it seems like the famine came along and challenged all of his presuppositions about God. He had to work extra hard to try to maintain hope and faith in God until finally being disillusioned and being disappointed, Elimelech decided that he should take matters into his own hands. God is not moving fast enough. And so Elimelech started on a journey with his family and he left the promised land heading toward Moab. But he didn't check his fluids. His faith was low. His hope was depleted, his joy had turned to sorrow. And the famine and the chaos in Israel had robbed him of his taste for God and for the things of God. Elimelech is giving up. And his cynicism had trickled down to his wife and to his sons. The hand of God is against us. And so we have to fend for ourselves. 
But Elimelech died shortly after they made it to Moab, and both his sons died within 10 years. And the three of them left behind three widows, Naomi, the child of promise, and, and the matriarch of the family, Orpah and Ruth, the wives of the two children. Three widows, three people who have lost the ones that they love. And Naomi has grown tired. Naomi has grown tired of losing. Can anybody relate to that? Naomi has grown tired and frustrated with losing. She lost her home. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons in the span of just 10 short years. And the cynicism, the skepticism of her husband is exacerbated in Naomi's breast. And just as an observation, it is important for the leaders of every household to recognize that the attitude you project toward God, toward the things of God, the attitude that you project in your house becomes the culture that permeates your home. Elimelech established a culture of unfaithfulness in his house. And now his wife is carrying on the tradition. And at first, in a moment of spiritual sanity, Naomi invited her two daughters-in-law to accompany her back to Israel. Let's pack up and let's go together. But somewhere along the way, she decided that they would be better off without her, that she was dead weight to them, and she invited them to leave her. And the three of them stood together and they wept and they cried once. Then in verse 14, they raised their voices and they wept again. I've lost my husband. You've lost your husband. I've lost my children and now we are losing one another. They stood together and they wept and they cried again. And after they finished crying, Orpah made her decision. The Bible says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, she kissed her goodbye, and she headed back to her mother's house. Because Naomi has successfully convinced Orpah that Naomi's God was against her. Naomi had convinced Orpah that God would also be against anyone who was in league with her, so Orpah said, okay, Orpah just left. She feels sorry for Naomi. And no doubt she has to be wondering, why would anyone serve a God like Naomi's God? A God who takes your husband and your family just like that. Orpah agrees with Naomi that God is apparently against her. And it will be better for her to get as far away from Naomi as is godly possible. Naomi's cynicism, Naomi's doubt, 
is contagious and Orpah has caught the bug. We are living through a time today where Christian cynicism is on the rise. The inclination to believe or to project ill intent upon God, Christian cynicism. It is a cynicism that is fueled by insecurity and self-pity. And it is causing masses of believers to recast their faith and to recast their God in a manner that best suits them and their personal priorities. Rather than accept God as he presents himself in scripture. And it's not just one side that's doing it nowadays. It seems like Christianity all across America has grown cynical. And we are taking control away from God and investing it into ourselves because it feels like God is asleep at the wheel. Cynicism. And unbeknown to us, this cynicism is causing many unbelievers to stay as far away from our God as humanly possible. Orpah had been infected with a doubt that she contracted from a child of God. But Ruth, Ruth is not dissuaded by Naomi's jaded perspective. Orpah walked away, but the Bible says Ruth clung to Naomi. She held on tightly to Naomi. It wasn't easy and it wasn't pleasant. Ask anyone has to spend, who has to spend time around a person that is filled with melancholy. It's not easy to be around doubtful, disillusioned people. Someone who always sees the dark side of everything. Someone whose mind is always gloomy. It can become a burden. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Like the song said today, as the song described today, all of us have times in our walk where we feel a bit gloomy. That's kind of normal. But some believers are always gloomy. Their glass is always half empty. They seem allergic to hope or to joy. Those kinds of believers can be hard to be around and they make it very difficult for unbelievers to believe in their God. After all, if God makes you feel that way, why should I want any part of your God? Naomi has cast a narrative that God is against her, but Ruth is not accepting her narrative. And so Naomi takes it one step further and engages in what I will call reverse evangelism. <laughs> reverse evangelism, that's not a theological term, that's just one I made up. Reverse evangelism. The Bible says in verse 15, then Naomi said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
return after your sister-in-law. I never paid attention to that before. Your sister-in-law has returned back to her people and to her gods. You do likewise. Think about the implications of this deceptive invitation. A child of God is advising an unbeliever to go back to her false gods. Whoa. My God isn't worth it, Naomi says. My God is not dependable, Naomi. My God is not good for you, Ruth. So go back to your gods. Reverse evangelism. Let me tell you something. Many believers are unintentionally preaching this same anti-gospel each and every day. We cry and we complain about our lot in life and we cry and complain to unbelievers. And then we have the audacity to turn around and invite them to follow Jesus. We worry and we publicly complain about all our problems constantly. Then we want to convince them that they should place their faith in our God. Mm. Those of us who are not gloomy and sad, we have become angry and we're angry about everything. Nothing worse than an angry Christian. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Times are changing for the worse, not for the better. I am not happy to be here rubbing shoulders with these sinners. Always angry, always on the defense, always fighting. Then we invite people to join us in our walk with Christ. <laughs> and in both instances, the world is looking at us and declining our invitation. If that's what God has done to you, why would I want to partake of that? You're angry. You're always depressed. Things never seem to work out for you. What kind of God is this that you're inviting me to serve? That's what Orpah's thinking. That's why Orpah is gone. If this is what you think of your God, why should I think more of your God than you think I'm out, she says. But thank God for the gift of faith. Thank God for the gift of faith that hears God despite our reservations. Naomi is talking, but Ruth hears the voice of the Lord despite her unfaithful witness. And Ruth does not accept Naomi's account. And she says to her mother-in-law, do not plead with me to leave you. Do not plead with me to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and most importantly, 
your God, the same God that you're accusing of being against you, your God will be my God. Ruth is committed. And commitment, brothers and sisters, is a choice. Commitment is the feeling or the sense of dedication and loyalty to a person or to a cause. Committed. It means to be wholeheartedly dedicated. It means to be all in, holding nothing back. Ruth is committed. Are you committed? Are you committed? I know you're saved. Yeah, we get that. But are you committed? Mm. Mm. Your salvation is just a sign of God's commitment to you. It's not something that you played any vital role in securing. Your faith and your salvation is a sign of God's eternal commitment to your good. But it is your obedience to God in all things that is a sign of your commitment to him. I ask you again, are you committed Committed to God, committed to God's cause. If God asks you to go, will you go? Even into the fire? Even into the suffering? If he asks you to go, will you go? Because this is the new trend that I see as I observe Christianity in America. There are those who say that the God of the Old Testament is too mean. So we may as well just ignore the Old Testament. Christian Naomi's are giving God a makeover to make him more appealing to the masses. This is the new trend that I see. Then there are those who look in the New Testament and say that Jesus Christ is too passive. And so Christian Naomi's once again are giving Jesus teeth to make him appear more dogmatic than he presents himself to be. Nobody seems to be satisfied with the God of the Bible as he presents himself. Do you still love the God of the Bible the way he presents himself? Or are you fashioning your own God in your own image, in your own mind? Hmm. A lot of believers are committed not to the God of the Bible, but to the God of their own imagination, to the God of their own craftiness. 
They fashioned a God for themselves that understands and that accommodates their sin. They fashioned a God who never challenges them, who never disciplines them, a cozy God of whom no one needs fear. No one has seen God, brothers and sisters. That's what the Bible says. No one has seen God. And since none of us have seen God, the God that we envision in our hearts, no matter how sincere that we are, the God that we envision in our minds is not God as he actually is. But as we search the scriptures, we can come to know God on God's own terms and not just in our imagination. We can learn to interpret the acts of God through a lens of trust instead of through the lens of self-pity and self-loathing. I will be the first to admit that some of the things we learn about God in Scripture can be a bit off-putting at first. But that is not because there's something wrong with God. That is not because there's something wrong with the Bible. That is because we don't understand what it means to be God. I used to get so irritated when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow bad things to happen because he's God. And you don't know what it means to be God. To be completely free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to or for whomever he wants. An unpredictable, untamed, and unchecked God. This is what it means to be God, to be completely free to do as you will. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Yes. And this is the whole point. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, Jesus says, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, fear God. Well, he's the friend that sticks close to me, brother. He's my buddy. He's, you can say all that if you want to. But you'd better maintain a certain level of healthy fear for God and for the things of God. We love him, but we fear him. And when you lose that fear for God, you are in danger. You are in serious danger. When you begin to take God for granted, when you begin to take God's church for granted, when you begin to take studying the scriptures for granted, be careful. You are losing your fear of God. Jesus says, fear God. 
instead of trying to judge God, fear God. God is worthy to be loved. God is worthy to be worshiped. God is worthy to be praised, but God is also worthy to be feared. And this is how we show loyalty to the God of the Bible. We acknowledge his power and his right to do with us as he wills. And we submit ourselves to his care, whether he bruises us or blesses us. We commit ourselves to his care. We are committed to the God as he presents himself in scripture and we fear him. This kind of commitment requires trust. The trust that even though sometimes God allows pain into my life, God loves me. I trust that he loves me. I trust that he desires only the best for me. Listen to me. Do not allow the ups and downs of life to make you sour on your God. Do not faint on God in the day of adversity. These days will come and these days will pass. Do not faint on your God. Mm. Do not reject the God of the Bible because he chastises you. Do not reject the God of the Bible because he takes something from you, even something or someone that you love. Do not sour on God. There are Christians who come to church every Sunday, never miss a Sunday, but they have soured on God. They are disenchanted with him and his ways. In their hearts, they have rejected his plan. They have soured on their God because of the vicissitudes of life. Naomi has soured on God. But Ruth is prepared to go with Naomi, wherever God takes her. Ruth is committed to sleep wherever God leads. Ruth has decided to cast her lot with Naomi's people and with Naomi's God, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what comes and what goes. Ruth is committed. And she declares her commitment even unto death. She says to Naomi in verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Man. May the Lord do so to me and even worse, if anything but death separates me from you. That's commitment right there. I'm in, I'm all in. Where you die, I will die. Huh. I told you guys at the beginning of the year that I'm not an Old Testament preacher because I think the stories of the Old Testament kind of just tell themselves. They don't require much narration. And I am not one who tries to see Jesus in every single event that happens in the Old Testament. I find that to be laborious and rather tiring. 
And I hate to see theologians try to stretch every scripture to make everything represent Jesus in the whole Old Testament. Some of these lessons are just good Christian life lessons. Some of these are just examples for us to follow. I'm not the kind of person who tries to find Jesus in every single sentence of the Old Testament. But in this case, in this case, I cannot help but fast forward all the way to Calvary's cross. In this particular text, I cannot help but mouth these words of Ruth to my Savior as he hangs there on that tree. Lord, where you died, I will die. And as you have risen from the dead, so will I. Lord, I will carry my cross with joy and not with complaining. Lord, I will suffer with you because I desire to reign with you. Lord Jesus, where you died, I will die. And though the struggles of life sometimes deplete me of my joy and of my hope, I will come to you to be filled again. Lord, fill me again with the Holy Spirit. Lord, restore the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. I'm not going anywhere. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Even when life invites me to leave your side, I am committed to live and to walk and to sleep and to cry in victory and in defeat. And just as you will never leave me, I commit today that I will never, never leave you. This is my choice. I choose Jesus. Mm. <laughs> now Ruth just like us Ruth did not know what tomorrow might even bring she had no idea and it's a long trek back to Judah a lot of things can go wrong along the way a lot of things can go wrong even after they arrive but Ruth's spiritual fluid levels <laughs> are all good, faith, check, joy, check, hope, check. Ruth's spiritual fluid levels are all good and interestingly enough, Ruth's faith is not only enough for her to survive the journey, Ruth has enough faith to carry doubting Naomi along with her. <laughs> Ruth has faith. And even though Naomi is doubting, she has enough faith for herself and for Naomi. Just come with me, Nay. Come on, Nay, Nay. <laughs> I know you don't understand what God is doing in your life right now, but just follow me, Nay, Nay. I have enough faith for both of us. Just come with me. Yeah, man. Ruth has enough faith for both of them. This is the kind of faith that we need. 
if we're going to bring others along into this journey with Jesus Christ. If we are to carry our brother's burden when he seems too weak to carry it for himself, this is mature faith. This is mature faith. Faith enough for myself and faith to carry others along with me. And this is how you know when a believer has reached maturity. When he, when she can turn around and share that faith with someone else. And this is what every minister, every member being a minister is all about. Helping us to grow in our faith. To challenge us to go out and to serve and to share this faith that God has given to us. And until you can do that, until you see the value in this, in serving your brothers and your sisters, in allowing them to share and to eat from your life, you have not come to maturity. You can sing all the songs and you can close your eyes and lift your hands until you're able to give this faith to someone else. You have not arrived. This is mature faith. This is the mature believer that Jesus Christ himself describes in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a person took and sowed in his field. And this is the smallest seed of all other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants of every kind and it becomes a tree so that, so that it becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. It grows to the point where it can support other lives. This is Ruth's faith. This is the sign of the one who has grown strong in their faith to the point where others can feed from the bounty of their spiritual blessings. Let me ask you the question then. Are you a repository of the blessings of God for others? Are you strong enough to carry the burdens of the depressed and of the needy? Has God equipped you to serve the least among us? What do you have to give? Ruth, Ruth is completely new to this faith. Yet she exhibits more trust in God than one who has been learning about God all her life. Ruth is not jaded by the loss of her husband. And Ruth has been granted by God an abiding faith to reach her destiny and enough faith to overflow to bring others along with her. My goodness. And finally, in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. In this scene, Naomi plays the role of the tempter. Naomi tries everything she can to convince Ruth to turn back, to turn away from her God, just like Job's wife, who advised her husband to curse your God and die. 
or like the priest in 1 Samuel who accused Hannah of being drunk when she cried out before God for a son. Naomi here is the tempter. Just like the accuser of the brethren tempt Jesus Christ in the garden. Tempting Jesus to walk away from God. To serve him. Life would be so much better, Jesus, if you just didn't try to follow through with your father's wishes. You can have everything that you desire, Jesus, if you just turn back from following God. Naomi is the tempter here. But suffering also plays the role of tempter from time to time. You know it and I know it that sometimes life can knock you down pretty hard. And you can become convinced that God is against you. You can become convinced that there, there is no future for you in the faith. Life can be hard sometimes. And you may be tempted to turn away. Most of the time, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens in stages, incrementally, so that you don't notice that you're falling away. When you think about not coming to church anymore and just being a Christian at home, <laughs> yeah, you're starting to incrementally walk away. And when you begin to imagine how much less complicated your life could be if you just stopped trying to follow Jesus, you are being tempted. God has turned you to the side of the road. He's checking your spiritual fluid levels. God has turned you to the side of the road and he's kicking your tires to see if you're up for the journey that lies ahead. Sometimes God checks our spiritual fluid levels and we're just running on fumes. Somebody today is just running on fumes. Your faith is so, so shallow, you don't even know if you can make it another day. Someone today is running on faith fumes. But that's okay. If you will allow him, God will replenish everything that you have lost. Somebody say it with me. Lord, fill us again. God can replenish everything that you have lost. Just don't give up, brothers and sisters. Don't become cynical. Don't turn your back on your God. Stay committed to Jesus Christ through it all. And if you do, in the end, like Paul the Apostle, you shall receive that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give us in that day. Let's pray. Father God, most of us in this room today can testify to the truth that you are faithful. That your love is faithful, consistent,
that even when we have lost our way, like the good shepherd, you always come and you find us and you encourage us again. You've been faithful, Father. There is no question that through the good days and the bad, you have kept your hand on me and you have caused all things to work together for my good. I pray for us today, Father God, that you will restore the trust, the confidence, and the faith that we have in you as you present yourself to us in the scriptures. That you would deepen our love, that you would secure our commitment that you would deliver us from cynicism and skepticism and doubt, that you would forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Help us to be committed. Do not allow us to be content being shallow Christians. Fill us, Lord God, with a sense of spiritual curiosity to dig deeper into your word, to come to know you all the more, and to be set free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and your spirit is in this place today. I pray that spirit of freedom would rest on every soul in this building. That you would open our eyes to the great things that you have done that we would turn away from the darkness that tempts us to leave your side. In Jesus' name, amen.